Lord God and Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are, you are a God who saves us through your word, the word of the gospel. We praise you that you are a God who sent your Son to save us from the judgment that we ourselves deserved. And Lord, we pray this morning that your people here would hear not my words, but the words of Jesus, your words, Lord, and that you might change us by them. So Lord, we pray that you might help me to speak clearly, faithfully to what your word says, and that you might encourage us, correct us. You might change us to be more like Jesus. We ask this, Father, in his name. Amen. If you asked a group of Christians what the most famous Bible verse was, I think many of us would say, maybe John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But what do you think the best known Bible verse is amongst our general society? I suggest that it might be Matthew 7 verse 1. Do not judge. Don't judge or you too will be judged. Judging others is extremely unpopular today, to say the least. It's often viewed as the opposite of tolerance. It's nearly the chief sin, it seems. These oft-quoted words of Jesus in uh, the recent debates about gay marriage, sexual ethics and so on, they are usually misunderstood, though. And what society views as judging others is quite hazy. And maybe someone on the streets would say that judging others is an improper negative assessment of another person. But what's improper can vary. Saying it's wrong to be involved with the child sex industry, people agree with. But saying it's wrong to leave your husband because you love another man, some would call judgmental. They'd call me judgmental if I said that. And if I say that having sex before marriage is a sin, most people would accuse me of judging them. But maybe we ourselves are not clear on what Jesus means by do not judge. And yet how we discern what is right and wrong and how we respond to others really matters. If I am to know what is good and to do good to others, then we need God to guide us. Coming to chapter 7, Jesus turns from a negative attitude in our own lives, a worry, to a negative attitude to others, condemning them. He continues to flesh out in chapter 7 what it means to love God and love others, what it means to live a righteous life that pleases God, a life where we follow Jesus. And my first point, or rather Jesus' first point, in verses 1 to 4, is turn from your own sin before pointing out others. And we're going to spend most time on this point. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. The verb to judge can refer to deciding, distinguishing, evaluating, assessing something or, or someone. But it can also refer to passing judgment on someone negatively in the sense that we condemn them. A judging here is looking down on others, pointing the finger at them and thinking that we're better, we're superior. And we're not to do that. Yet so often we do. 
Still so often in our society and in our churches, we hear people say, you can't tell others that what they're doing is wrong, for Jesus says, do not judge. And so we can't say that certain sexual relationships are wrong. We can't say that you must turn to Jesus or you will go to hell, for that is you judging me. That's what people claim. But that isn't what Jesus means. How can we be different from the world and different from unbelievers and obey obey Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount if we don't make judgment calls? Jesus isn't saying, ignore and stay quiet about what's wrong. We are to evaluate and say and do what is right. Jesus calls for discernment. For if you look down in verse 9, we, we need to discern who the dogs and the pigs are. And if you look at our next passage in verse 15, we need to watch out for, stay away from false prophets, false teachers. So Jesus is not calling us to switch off our brains or turn off our moral radar or stop making judgment calls. This is not a command to turn a blind eye to faults or sin or abuse. We need to judge in the sense of assess people. What Jesus means in verse 1 is that we must not be judgmental and pass judgment on others in the sense that we look down on them and condemn them. And we must not unjustly criticize or pass harsh verdicts on people. We're not to stand in judgment over others as if we are the judge. I wonder in what area do you know that you sometimes look down on others? I wonder if you could chat with someone over morning tea about where you find this hard. I'll sum it up by saying that we're not to be judgmental, but but we are to be discerning. John Calvin says that these words of Christ do not contain an absolute prohibition from judging, but are intended to cure a disease which appears to be natural to us all. Everyone flatters themselves and every person passes a severe censure on others. If we are judgmental, then we will be judged, says Jesus in verse 2. The measure you use will be the measure you get. Your judging others invites judgment on yourself. And what does this look like? We may be judged by others in this life where people treat us like we treated them. But on the last day, God will also judge people. And some unbelievers will receive greater punishments in the judgment to come in hell, as passages like Luke 12 verse 47 says. If we are saved people... We are saved because we've turned from our sin and trusted in Jesus. And this judgment that we read of here, it won't mean that we lose our salvation. It may mean some form of rebuke or discipline from the Lord in this life or some form of non-salvation-related consequence 
at Jesus' coming. But let's hear Jesus' words today and repent now. And that brings us to verse 3. We're not only fallible human beings, we're fallen human beings. In other words, we not only make mistakes, we sin, even on purpose. And so before assessing others, we must take the plank out of our own eye first, Jesus says. The word for plank or log, it's the word for beam, a beam which is used to support the roof or the floor of a building. The point is it's big. Whereas the speck is a splinter. Now, how can we get the speck out of a person's eye when a plank is totally blocking our own vision? It's Jesus' point. We can't. And that plank may be our particular sins. It could be our pride. See your own need for mercy first. And so our incapacity... Our, our sin which blinds us our, makes us incapable of discerning what's true. Our own incapacity is the first issue. And the second issue with the plank is our hypocrisy for maybe we are too ready to correct someone else for their sin when our own sin is far greater. Turn from your own sin before pointing out to others. What does this look like Practically. It means if we see someone doing something uh, that we see someone doing that we believe is sinful or wrong, unless somebody is in danger, you should usually say nothing straight away. Uh, Whether you're saying it to them in person, you're ready to shoot off an email or splurge on social media. Point is stop and think. First think about your own life. Turn from your own sins. And pray that God would help you to see your own sin and turn from it before you go highlighting in others. Ask that God would forgive you for your own sins and for any pride or judgmentalism that dwells in your own heart. Trying to rebuke another person's minor faults when you've not turned from your own bigger faults is like a mass murderer trying to rebuke a child for squashing ants. Hypocrisy. Take a look at yourself, correcting yourself before you correct others. Secondly, I be thankful, Christian, that Jesus was judged in your place. If we've been united to Christ by faith and joined to Jesus by our reliance on him and his spirit in us, then we can have assurance of salvation. We can know that Christ bore our judgment and took our punishment on the cross. We are forgiven and counted righteous in God's sight. And so fellow believers, brothers and sisters, remember that as we come to the Lord's Supper after. And be thankful that Jesus was judged in your place. And then when you and I do that, we can go to that person with humility and not superiority. 
Then thirdly, you'll be ready also to see the speck in your brother's eye, to see the sin in your sister's life, and maybe to speak about it with them in love. Come to people, not with your own opinions of right and wrong, but opening the word of God, speaking the truth in love, and seeking their good before your own. And that is discernment. And it takes discernment to know if what someone has said or done is something that we should, I should just bear with and not make an issue of. It takes discernment to know if what the other person has done wrong is really just my personal preference or, or my culture being different. It takes discernment to know how and when I should speak to someone who's doing wrong. Pray for discernment. In Matthew 18 verse 15, if your brother or sister sins against you, God says you are to go to them privately and let them know. That means we don't defame them online or slander them. We don't gossip about them. We go to them privately. And so it's not that all criticism is wrong, but from Matthew 7, it's wrong to criticize others when we exercise no self-criticism. And it's wrong to do it to make ourselves feel good or to put them down, to make them feel bad rather than seeking their good. And so we should, if we're going to speak to someone about what they've done or their behavior, then we should speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says that. And if you're not going to speak the truth in love, seeking their good, then you should stay quiet. Don't speak. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is eating at Simon the Pharisee's home. A woman comes in. You may recall the story. She kneels at his feet. She weeps on his feet. She wipes them with her hair. And Simon despises Jesus for not rebuking this sinful woman. Simon judges her. Jesus, though, he says she has committed many sins. And yet Simon was guilty of sin and hypocrisy. He says that too. And some might say, how dare Jesus say that woman's committed many sins? He's judging her. But he spoke the truth. He spoke it in love and without hypocrisy. And here we see Jesus is gracious to the woman and to Simon. He wants Simon to turn from his own sin too. And so like Jesus, sometimes we need to, in love, tell people when they are going astray, when they're hurting themselves or others. I ask, are you willing to do that? Maybe it's the way a colleague at work treats others. Maybe it's the way a schoolmate treats others. Maybe it's the way you see a friend speak to their spouse or to their kids. Maybe it's a brother or sister's bad habits. With God's help, we can, with humility and love, talk about hard things with people without being judgmental. 
Next point is turn away from some. Well, verse 6 seems well, out of place on a totally different topic, and it partly is. I'm sure it's partly because the Sermon on the Mount we have, I'm sure, is a summary of what Jesus did say. But what connects it to verses 1 to 5 is that we need to assess people. We need to make a call about where people are at, where someone is at. And not everyone appreciates correction. Not everyone will listen, even when the truth is spoken in love to them. And if the danger before was being too harsh, now the call is not to be too lax. The dogs that Jesus refers to are not our cute pet dogs, like my family's pet dog, Bagel, the Bagel ear. The dogs Jesus refers to, they are wild scavengers. And you're not going to throw what's holy or precious to them, are you? Nor would I give any Eiffel at stake to my pet dog, Bagel. But Jesus' point is too, you're not going to throw pearls to unclean pigs. The pearl that Jesus refers to is what is most precious. It's likely the the gospel of salvation. It's that, that pearl of great price which the merchant in Matthew chapter 13 sells everything to get. It's a place in God's kingdom in relationship with Christ the King. Jesus is not saying that all unbelievers are dogs or pigs, but those who spurn and reject and mock the gospel are. And the point is, don't keep offering the gospel to someone who mocks it. As we read in Proverbs chapter 9, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult, whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. So share the gospel with everyone. Invite everyone to turn from selfishness and sin and put their trust in Jesus. Invite everyone to repent and believe, but pushing the gospel on the wicked will only invite persecution. And if someone keeps mocking the gospel that you share with them, it's time to turn away from them. When Jesus sent out the twelve, In Matthew 10, verse 14, he said, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. It's like the Apostle Paul when he's preaching in Corinth to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And in Acts 18 and verse 6, We read, when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest to them, said, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. There comes a time when it's good and right to turn away from some and move to others who may be open to and willing to hear the good news of Jesus. And so we turn from some out of love for others. And this can be complicated, I know, especially when those who mock the gospel are in your own family. Pray for wisdom 
and discernment in living this out. Jesus' third point is turn to God for grace. Turn to God for grace. Ask, the verb means keep asking and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And this can seem like a a blanket promise that we'll receive whatever we ask, but we always interpret Scripture with Scripture, don't we? If you're not sure what one Bible passage means, you look at what other Bible passages on the same matter speak about. And so we have to consider what else Scripture says about prayer and when we shall receive what we ask for. Jesus already in chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer told us that we ought to pray for God's will to be done. And we ought to want that and pray for that, God's will being done in all things. In Matthew chapter 21, uh, Matthew 21, Jesus speaks of the importance of, Matthew 13, uh, of faith or belief when it comes to prayers being answered. In John chapter 14, we, we learn about how we will receive things if we ask in Jesus' name. And please know that this, in Jesus' name, it's, it's not some magical formula that we just have to use those words and we'll get whatever we want. No, it's about praying in accordance with Christ's character and Christ's purposes and seeking God's glory. And James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says that sometimes we don't receive what we ask for. Because we ask with selfish motives. Having said all that, Jesus still encourages us to ask and pray and to pray with confidence. Confidence that God hears us. Confidence that God will answer us. God does answer prayer. We wouldn't give our child a stone if they asked for a piece of bread or a snake if they asked for some fish. And Jesus says we're evil, we're inherently sinful with sinful hearts and even we know how to give good gifts to our children. Verse 11, sinful people know how to feed and care for their kids because people are made in the image of God and while that is tarnished with sin, the image remains. John Calvin says, God drops into their hearts a portion of his goodness. Jesus, he argues from the lesser to the greater. If we sinners can give good gifts to our kids, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The implied message is that God is good. Our Father God, he is good and gracious, he is powerful, he is loving. And if Christ is our Lord and Saviour, God is our Father, we are his children, and prayer is coming to him with our requests. And out of the goodness of God, he gives us good gifts good gifts to his children. And notice, please, that God gives us good gifts even though we are evil in ourselves. This highlights God's grace. 
God gives us good things, though we don't deserve any of them. And what are the good gifts that God gives? Surely it's the things that Jesus has been calling us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Surely it's faith and grace to repent of, turn from our sin. Surely it's generosity. Surely it's humility and purity in heart and in life. Surely it's having wisdom and grace in relationships so that God enables us to know how to speak the truth in love. And those are good things to pray for, things that are in line with God's will, they're consistent with Christ's character, they are for God's glory. In speaking about, in this passage or parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, And verse 13, it adds there that God will surely give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So if we call on the name of Jesus for salvation and we seek God's Spirit, which we're given when we believe the gospel, then we can be absolutely sure that God will answer that prayer with a yes. But you may say, Clinton, I prayed for that exam and I failed it. I asked to be healed of my illness and it got worse. I prayed for my mum to be healed of cancer and she died. I prayed for peace, but this world and my mind is full of conflict. Prayer doesn't work. We need to remember that the promises of Jesus here are not unconditional. It's not as simple as ask and you will receive, ask for the Ferrari and it will be yours. As if prayer is some mighty wand or we pray to some magic genie in a bottle. No. Believe that God promises to give us good gifts And the trouble is we don't often know what is good or what is best for us. God doesn't actually promise to give us whatever we want, whatever we ask. But in the context here in this section, he he will answer my prayers with what is good. I need to trust that what he gives me is good, good for making me more like Jesus. Though what is good for us may be hard. I need to realise, we need to realise that if we ask for what is not good in itself or not good for us or others, not good directly or indirectly, immediately or ultimately, God will not give that. And only God knows the difference. So we need to trust him. So ask for what you need or what you believe is good. Ask in faith. Believe that God can grant it. Ask for it repeatedly and turn to him knowing, trust him knowing that he knows best. When you struggle to love others, turn to God for his grace. 
When you see your own pride or you yourself looking down on others, turn to God for his grace, his undeserved favour. When you see the log of sin in your own heart, turn to Jesus and to God for his grace. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And it is God's goodness and grace that is to be our incentive in doing good to others, to one another. And that's why verse 12 starts with the word so. Verse 12 connects back to what was said previously. God is good and gracious to his people, so we are to be good to others. And our concluding point is treat others with goodness and grace. Jesus says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. But this sums up the law and the prophets. Doing to others as you would have them do to you is called the golden rule. It's a helpful guide for living a life of love and one that pleases God. But it doesn't mean you're out partying and you should buy your drunk friend a drink because you'd like one yourself. You'd like them to do that for you. Let's not misunderstand it. It it doesn't mean agree that boys can choose to be girls because others in your school or society would like you to believe that. We must ask what scripture teaches on any given topic. But the principle is put yourself in the other person's shoes. Put yourself in their situation. Be kind. Go out of your way to be kind. Ask yourself, if I was in their situation, how would I like to be treated? I wouldn't like to have someone look down on me, so I won't look down on others. If you're a child at home living with mum and dad and you have siblings, you won't put your brother or sister down because you don't like it when they do it to you. At work, you'll go out of your way to help others, even at your own cost, because you'd appreciate that. I will turn from my own sin before pointing out others' sin with a judgmental attitude. I will be generous and not get even with someone because I'd like that myself. I will spend time with my child or with my lonely friends, even when it means sacrificing my time, because I'd like that if I were them. And I would want someone to tell me if, if I'm headed on a road to hell. So in love I will tell them. But please realise that we can't obey this golden rule or avoid judgmentalism or or live this out apart from the grace of our God. You see, being in a righteous relationship with God leads to the righteous acts that stem from that relationship. In other words, if God's grace has changed our hearts, we can now love others truly 
and do good to others more and more over time. So knowing that God's grace has saved you and changed you, brothers and sisters, go and show goodness and grace. Like God, like your God, treat others, display to others goodness and grace. Let's pray. Well, God, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, when we read it with open ears and eyes and hearts, it reveals our own sinful hearts to us. And we ask our Father that you would forgive us for our sin. We ask, Father, that you might help us to be humble when it comes to reading your word. Help us to be humble when it comes to relating to others, when we see others sin in their lives or sin against us. And Lord God, we pray that you might so fill us with your spirit that we might live like Jesus and speak the truth in love to others. Give us wisdom and discernment as we seek to do that and to spur one another on in this church in loving and following and living for our Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray that this morning you would encourage our hearts afresh as we remember your goodness and grace that's been shown to us in giving us your Son and been shown to us in answering so many of our prayers throughout our lives. And Lord, we pray that you might make us more godly and help us to display to one another the difference the gospel makes in our lives as we treat others with goodness and grace. And may we do this, God, for the glory of your name and because we're so grateful. Amen.